Welcome to the Word Ministry of Resurrection Church, where Dr. Joseph G. Matera is the senior pastor and presiding bishop. We trust that the following message will be a blessing. Open up your hearts and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you through the preaching and teaching of one of God's choice servants. Hi, this is Joseph Matera. I hope you're ready for the word. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you'd bless this word. Help us to understand how to pray the way we breathe. That prayer be integrated in every part of our life. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk about prayer for all seasons of life. My objective today is to encourage prayer to be integrated into our lifestyle in every situation. Most people only pray at certain points, sometimes just on Sunday. But God wants prayer to be like the breath that we breathe, that we're not even conscious of it. It's something that is continually being done as we walk in the presence of God and commune with Him in our spirit. We're going to use as our text James chapter 5, verse 13 to 18. Uh, as we will see when we read this, that the Bible teaches us to pray without ceasing. And that's found in 1 Thessalonians. And to rejoice evermore. In other words, always to be thankful. 1 Thessalonians 5. The point being that God desires continual praise and fellowship in our life. And when we talk about prayer in this particular message, we're talking about a two-way communion hearing from God, not just God hearing from us. And so we're called to practice the presence of God and to always walk with God. It tells us that Enoch walked with God. What does it mean to walk with God? It just means that it wasn't just a set time where he got away with God for 15 minutes or a half hour. And that's what most people do. They'll go pray and then they'll forget about God the rest of the day. And then they wonder why they're under so much attack and spiritual warfare. It says that Enoch walked with God. That meant that God was part of every part of his life. He integrated God and God's presence in everything. Abraham was called God's friend. And Moses knew God face to face as a man knows his friend. And the reason for that is they just had a relationship with God. They had an intimate relationship with God. And uh, when you know someone, let's say you're married for 50 years, you don't even have to say anything with your spouse. You could just hold hands and sit in a chair for hours, just admiring creation, even though you're both in fellowship together. So sometimes walking with God doesn't mean that you're interceding or saying something. Could you just be hanging out with God and walking and enjoying his presence? So what we want to understand is what James is bringing out here is a prayer life that never stops a worship life that never stops. We're called to practice the presence of God and walk with God the way people in the scriptures did. And so let's go to James 5. He starts off in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Now the point James is making, if we read the context, is not that we only pray when we're in trouble. That word suffering could also be translated having trouble. Um, But what he's saying is that we learn to depend on God first when we are tested. 
And when we're tested, we know how much faith we have. We know who we really trust. God is not pleased when we run somewhere else first instead of running to him when we're in trouble. We find that God is honored when we look to him first and foremost before looking anywhere else. I'm not saying don't call 911 when when there's an accident. We're not talking about idiotic things like that. But in general, when there are relational issues, financial issues, um, and even a long-term chronic disease, we don't just go to the doctor, but we start trust, start trusting God. In Second Kings chapter one, we see how there was a king named Asariah who fell through the lattice in the upper chamber in his house in Samaria and he laid sick. So he sent messengers saying, go inquire of Baal Zebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this sickness. So he inquired of another god, even though he was a Jewish king in Israel. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, arise, go to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria. Samaria was the headquarters of Israel after the kingdom was divided. Judah's headquarters was Jerusalem. Israel's headquarters was Samaria. So go say to the king of Samaria and say to them, is it because there is no God in Israel that you're going to inquire of Baal Zebub, the God of Ekron? And uh, you could almost see the similarity of these names when they accused Jesus in Matthew chapter 12 of casting out demons by Beelzebub. Very similar. And now, therefore, thus says the Lord, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So God was displeased with this king who went somewhere else before he went to God when he was in trouble in this particular point when he was dying. In 2 Chronicles 16, we find the story of a really good king, Asa. But at one point, he stopped trusting in God after he was attacked by the king of Israel. And instead of going to God for help, he went to Ben-Hadad, the king of of Syria, who lived in Damascus. And Ben-Hadad came and helped him out. And Asa was able to win the victory against the king of Israel. But at that time, Hanani, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, we find in 2 Chronicles 16, 7. And he said, because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you, meaning the ones you now went to for help are eventually going to be the ones who attack you. And if he had gone to God for help, because Syria was in alignment with Basha, king of Israel, he would have defeated both. But instead, he just defeated the king of Israel. And now he's going to have to contend with another enemy that's even more formidable down the road. And so you let Syria escape. And then God begins to recount some of the testimonies. Were not the Ethiopians and Libyans a huge army? It tells us uh, in the Chronicles that Asa fought an army of Ethiopians that had over a million men in the army. And you relied upon me and you defeated these enemies. And the Lord gave them into your hand. 
For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. You have done foolishly in this by going to Syria. From now on, you're going to have continual wars. So the giant you don't face and defeat now will become a greater giant in the future. And here we are in COVID, civil unrest, having contentious election, uh, presidential and congressional elections. And if America doesn't turn to God, if the church doesn't turn to God, we're gonna have even more wars and more unrest. If we can't turn to God now, then what is it gonna take? And so the prophet continues, because you relied on the Lord, I gave the Ethiopians into your hand, but because you've done foolishly, you're gonna have more wars. So Asa was angry with the seer. A seer is a, another form of saying a prophet. The difference is the, the prophet normally speaks what he sees and uh, what, from the word that come, bubbles up from inside of him, and then seer basically sees things. And so Asa was angry with this seer, even though he was representing God, and put him in prison. And he was in a rage with him because of the word of the Lord. And then in his temper, he became a bad king. He inflicted cruelties upon some of the other people at the same time. Then, unfortunately, in the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet, and his disease became very severe. Yet in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but only went to the physicians. And he wound up dying two years later, in the 41st year of his reign. So we see a man of God fall away from God, become angry and bitter, even against the messengers of God. And it first started out because he didn't go to God for help. And in a crisis, it always reveals and shows us who we're trusting. Is it God or is it somebody else? And when we go to God, we honor and please him. James continues because James is a Jewish writer remembers all of these stories and he's basically saying when you're afflicted pray go to God the second part of that verse he says is anyone cheerful let him sing psalms or hymns the hymnology of the early church was the psalms same with the Jews the point here is not that we should only worship God when we're happy or feel like it the admonition here is to integrate God with every mood we have. We should never detach happiness from understanding that every good and perfect gift comes from above. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So what James is saying here, when you're happy, when you're thankful, always praise God and worship God. Don't ever give the impression that you have good things apart from God's blessing and bounty in your life. And so even when we're enjoying good things, pause to give God praise. And then he says in verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save 
or heal the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And so this is a very powerful passage that demonstrates the fact that even in a health issue, God wants to be the source of our healing. As a matter of fact, the Greek word here, sozo, the faith will save the sick. It's the same word used for people who are saved when their sins were forgiven. In the Gospels, the same Greek word is used, which demonstrates that when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he also died for our sicknesses. It's all part of the salvation message. So the gospel is the cure not only for our spiritual issues and our sins and our uh, things that separate us from God, but it also is a promise to bring healing and health and well-being to our bodies. How can we serve God fully if we're always walking around with chronic sickness and disease? So that's part of the atonement that we see in the scriptures. That's why the word in the King James is, is the prayer of faith will save the sick. Other translations, because they know that that's going to confuse people, make them think it's the same as uh, the gospel of salvation, which it really is. They change that word save the sick to heal the sick, but it means the same thing. And so the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, and that salvation includes physical healing. And the Lord will raise him up, he said. Um, it says to call the elders because the elders were the most mature people in the church. But it doesn't mean that only the elders could pray for the sick because in Mark 16 it tells us that these signs will follow those who believe in Christ. And one of the things it says is they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Uh, we also see how the original apostles used anointing oil at times when they prayed for the sick. In Mark chapter 6, we find that after Jesus called the 12 together and sent them out, he gave them authority over unclean spirits and to pray for the sick. And it says in verse 13 that they went out and pro proclaimed that people should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed many with oil who were sick and healed them. So why do we need oil? Well, oil, the same as laying on of hands, sometimes is a point of contact for people, helps them release their faith. It gives them a handle on things. Same way we use Holy Communion to depict the death and burial of Jesus Christ and our sins being forgiven. God uses physical things, physical emblems and activity to dispense his grace and his healing in this particular passage. There's nothing magical in oil. There's no such thing as holy water or holy oil with magical properties of healing. But as it represents the Holy Spirit, when we put it on people, the oil can be a point of contact to release people's faith at the point that the oil goes on their head so that they can go to God and be healed. The promise continues in James 5, and if this person, the person getting prayed for by the elders, has committed sins, he shall be forgiven. This implies that sometimes when people walk away from God, God allows sickness to come on them and other maladies and troubles. Um, but it also implies that even if we have backslidden or even if we are in sin or living in sin, the good news is it shouldn't stop us from coming to church for prayer, health, healing, and even to see our sins forgiven. 
Verse 16, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Again, the implication here is that sometimes there's a bitterness or there's a sin or unconfessed sins that can negatively impact our physical body. We see that also in the Psalms. But after prayer, confession, and being transparent with a mature leader, an elder or other leaders, uh, and anybody that you're in trusting relationship with that is serving God, we find that healing is released to that person while we're confessing what's going on in our life. And so this also shows that healing and forgiveness of sins is not just an individual matter. It gives us an illustration of the power of the body of Christ. We need each other, especially when we're weak or in sin or when we're in great trouble or need. And we need others to restore us. It tells us in Galatians 6, if someone is overtaken with a sin, let those who are more spiritual gently restore them. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9, it says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will be kept warm. But how can one be kept warm alone? Though one may be empowered, overpowered by another, two can withstand them. And a threefold cord is not easily broken. In Hebrews 10, it tells us, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. So we have to get back in church physically. Uh, unless you have an underlying condition, do not allow COVID, the fear of COVID to stop you from assembling together, whether through Zoom, but especially physically. So let's assemble together because it stirs us up towards love and good works. I loved it when we had only online services. I got ministered to, but it, experiencing the power of fellowship and the worship was 10 times better when I was in church on Sunday. Boy, I would never replace that for anything else. Then he concludes this section. James 5 says the effectual or effective, fervent prayer of a righteous person availeth much in a New King James Version. So what's effective prayer? Effective prayer is not necessarily long prayers, but it's prayers that are based on the finished work of Christ on the cross. You have faith in what Jesus already accomplished. What's fervent prayer? Fervency has to do with fire, passion, focus, physical force. It's always about fervently seeking God and desiring God, never just casually inquiring after God. Verse 17, then James gives Elijah as an example. He said, Elijah was a man like us, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. So Elijah was a human being. He wasn't Superman. He wasn't Captain America. He wasn't a mutant. He wasn't an X-Men. He was just a normal human being, and he was able to stop it from raining on the land of Israel for three and a half years. Why? Because of his faith. He had fervent prayer, effectual prayer, and it changed the course and destiny of a nation. 
James is implying that if Elijah can shut up the heavens by faith, by himself, then we could also influence the course of nature and human history for the purposes of God. Let's seek God now more than ever before. So as we end this, ask yourself the question, am I willing to integrate praise and prayer with every aspect and season of my life? Am I willing to join groups of people? And because of COVID, it could be done on Zoom for mutual benefit and accountability. We need to confess our faults to one another, pray for one another that we may be healed. Everybody needs friends and buddies. We need to be in small groups. Last, can you believe God to use your prayer life during this season? There's going to be a lot of unrest. I think it's going to get worse after the election. It's not going to get better. Let's pray. Let's band together. Let's seek God. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. Can we count on you? I hope so. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you want to receive Christ, pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, I come to you. I thank you for dying for me, for punishing yourself on the cross, allowing the Father to punish you and men to punish you in my place. I believe you're alive. Please come in my life and give me the power to serve you. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, that's only a decision. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Get in touch with us so we can help you walk out the rest of your Christian walk. Without the church, it's going to be very difficult to make it. It would be like giving birth to a baby and leaving the baby alone in the street. Baby can't feed itself. You can't feed yourself. Please get in touch with us. You ask Christ in your life. This is Joseph Matera signing off. God bless you. We trust that you were blessed. For more information regarding our church, please go to our website at www.resurrectionchurchofny.com or call 718-436-0242, extension 0.